Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Than Before. This is the CEO Leaders Podcast Show. I'm your host, Tony Richards, along with producer Bill. Hello. And we have one clear objective, to provide tools, information, and entertainment to make you better than before in business and in life. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and we are on the C-Suite Radio Network. And on our show today, we have some listener questions coming up that we have received through our email, info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. And I'll be giving you some big ideas for family focus. That's all coming up on our show today. Don't forget to visit our website at clearvisiondevelopment.com. We post new stuff Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well as our podcast archive, our video archive, our audio archive, some free downloads, and more. So uh, a couple of things here right off the bat, Bill. Yes. You know I'm a Twitter fan. Mm -hmm. Twitter recently topped earnings and revenue expectations, so really beat the street analysts and surprised the street. And not only that, but they added 321 million monthly active users. Wow. I think Twitter's on fire. Yeah, they are. It's my favorite social media platform. Is it? Oh, yeah. If I had to get rid of social media, the last on the list would be Twitter. So do you have any stock in Twitter? No. It doesn't fit my dividend criteria, so it doesn't pay. Oh, it does So my tech growth stocks are Amazon and Apple. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of got that filled. But I'm a fan of Twitter, though. I'm a fan. The bank BB&T. Have you heard of this bank? No, I haven't. BB&T is buying SunTrust, which is a rival set of banks in their same geography. $66 billion. It's an all-stock merger. And it will create, then, the sixth biggest bank by assets and deposits. Wow. BB&T. And SunTrust are going to be thrown in a bowl and mixed up. Then one that we have talked about in the past, just to update everybody on, you've probably heard this, uh, but a federal bankruptcy judge has approved the CEO Eddie Lampert's plan to buy Sears. They had a day-long hearing, and so the bankruptcy judge has authorized a sale Mm -hmm. to Eddie. Wow, I wonder how that's going to go. Not sure exactly what he's buying, but whatever's left of Sears is going to be his. Which, it's only fair. I mean, he's the guy that screwed it up, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's the one that's going to have to buy it and try to do something with it, I guess. Well, good luck to him. Well, they were talking about how it's saving a bunch of jobs and all that, and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Just, But how long can it go on? That's the question I ask couple of changes over the last 25 years in the online business world. The most valuable companies in the world, Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon, mostly stayed in their own lanes as they grew into giants. But now, they're increasingly clashing as their growing ambitions bump into one another. Think about this. You paid attention, so this will all make sense to you. I'm sure it will to our listeners too. But once upon a time, Amazon was largely a retail store, mainly books. I remember that. Apple sold computers, Mm -hmm. hardware. Mm -hmm. Google was a search engine and Facebook was an online social network. None of these companies can be confined by these definitions anymore. Right. They spill over now into one another's territory 
even as they depend on each other to greater and lesser degrees. Facebook and Amazon, for example, both distribute their consumer apps through the Google Play and Apple app stores. Google, Facebook, and Apple all rely to some degree on their products being sold through Amazon, despite each also having tensions with the retail giant. So where are the rivalries? Well, Google and Amazon had vastly different origins, but more and more getting in competition with each other in cloud computing, in advertising, and other areas. Amazon and Apple have fought, but now they're finding more common ground with each other. And Google and Facebook together control the lion's share of the online advertising business. Tension is likely to outweigh cooperation, especially as each of the four companies seek to convince regulators that the others are the ones in need of <laughs> regulation. Not us. It's, it's them. <laughs> Again, I think we could solve all this by putting all of these companies in the WrestleMania main event. I like in it. this corner, Google and Amazon taking on the tag team of Amazon and Apple or Google and Facebook. Yeah, must-see TV. Yeah. This was kind of a cool story. We'll do this one, and then we got the stat of the day, and then we'll get on to our listener questions. But there's a new book coming out, and uh, I found out about this book the other day, so I did a little research. The book is called Sacred Duty. Senator Tom Cotton is uh, writing this book, and he interviewed members of the Army's Old Guard, and this book is coming out on May 14th. And he was a platoon leader of what's called the Old Guard. That's the Army's official ceremonial unit. So when they have a funeral, you know, they have the guys that come out and they shoot the 21-gun salute and right. stuff like that. They are also America's oldest infantry unit dating back to 1784. But he was uh, the platoon leader in 07 and 08. And he says he got this idea for this book because when he was campaigning in Arkansas or when his constituents visit him in D.C., the most common military question he ever gets asked is about the National Cemetery in Arlington and about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, which is guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year by the old guard unit. So he says that... Um, he works at night uh, on the book when his sons are in bed, and he's trying to tell the story of this old guard. And he also has in the book eyewitness accounts of the White House arrival ceremony for uh, the French president and also retirement ceremony for Lieutenant General McMaster, which was formerly President Trump's national security advisor. He says, you know, these funerals happen every single day in Washington at Arlington Cemetery. Mm. Doesn't matter if it's 105 scorching degrees or 15 chilling degrees, the funerals go on. There is no routine and no simple funeral. Every funeral is customized to the soldier. I didn't know that. And he always told his unit when he was the platoon leader, this is the only Arlington funeral that this family will ever see. Put your heart into it. I just think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, touching. So mm -hmm. I'll probably get a copy of it. It's called Sacred Duty. Sounds really interesting. Stat of the day. You're really going to like this one. Uh-oh. You'll never guess what we're studying now. Thoughts about time's monetary value inhibits pleasure. So in other words, the more you think about what your time's worth, the more pleasure you don't have. Research subjects who had been asked to calculate their recent hourly wages were less happy, scoring an average of 63 on a scale of 100, while listening to the flower duet from the opera Lachme than those who hadn't been prompted to think about their wages, which scored 70 on a scale of 100. This, according to Sanford E. DeVoe and Julian House of the University of Toronto's School of Management. 
when they think about their wages on an hourly basis while listening to this song from this French opera, they're not happy. So why are they listening to a French opera? <laughs> hey, man, I don't invent these things. I just report on them. Yeah, that's my question. I just want you to know some of the things that we're studying, okay? <laughs> well, it's good to know. So their basic premise is, Thinking about time in terms of money impairs people's ability to be happy. So, listeners, don't put your time and money together or you're going to be not happy, according to the University of Toronto. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think our stats of the day are getting more interesting or more ludicrous? Um, yes. <laughs> I've got uh, listener questions. Coming up next on Better Than Before, sponsored by University Subaru. Join us for the Subaru True Love event in Columbia. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home, which means we care for our customers like we care for our community. Join us for the Subaru True Love event in Columbia. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, along with producer Bill. And I ran into Dan Burks from University Subaru at lunch the other day. Uh-huh. I said, hi, Dan, how are you? And he goes, I'm really good. How are you? I said, well, I'm joining you for the True Love event in Columbia. Been here, always will be here. You know, I started doing the tag. You know, he thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> that is funny. You know, one of these days, going back to the stat of the day for just a second, and which right now listeners everywhere are moaning and groaning, going, let's don't go back to that. <laughs> one of these days, you know, we'll just have to get the French opera and play it. Yes. We'll see if that affects our mood. I like it. Which I bet we'd be happy if we didn't think about our hourly <laughs> wages. Well, I don't know if I can separate the two now. But I'll be honest with you. I've never heard the flower duet from the French opera, like me. I haven't either. Maybe something we'll have to do on the show someday. I think we should. If we don't get in trouble for copyright or something. Mm. Maybe if we only played like seven seconds of it or something, we wouldn't get in trouble. So we got some questions that listeners have emailed us. And uh, you have the list there that's been hermetically sealed in a mayonnaise jar since last Friday. <laughs> yes. Pulling those out. So Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and just jump right in then. Um, okay. Number one, what is the one thing you wish you would have done different in your career? What's the one thing? Oh, I, I know the answer to this because I've thought about it a lot. Yeah. I wish I would have gone to Harvard. I really do. I, I've thought about that a lot. And I've, I've thought about how my business career went. Uh, and I've thought about what I'm doing now mm -hmm. in the advisory, coaching, and consulting business. And I really wish I would have gotten an MBA from Harvard. So was it on your radar when you were growing up? Not a bit. Not mm -hmm. a bit. But I don't know, probably in the last five, six years, and I have reflected back, I, I really wish I had a degree from Harvard. I wish I would have gone to Harvard as a postgraduate. I think I would have enjoyed that. Well, I like it. Uh, what is the best book you've read in 2018? Okay, so I went back to my book list. So I keep a list of all the books I read every year and the weeks that I read them. And so I marked a couple for this question. 
The first one I would say is I read the book uh, Grant. It was about President uh, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Civil War General for the North and then President of the United States, written by Ron Chernow, which I love biographies and I love Ron Chernow. He does such a great job. Another one would be Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. Tim has chocked the book full of uh, advice from all of these people on all a whole bunch of subjects, everything from health to wealth to management to exercise, all kinds of stuff. But it it's a great book, Tribe of Mentors. It's just full of advice. Another one would be, and we had this person on our show, Denise Yon, Fusion. That was a great business book talking about merging brand and culture. And if you are a recent listener of our show, maybe you want to go back in our archives and find the show where Denise Yon spelled uh, Y-O-H-N like John, but with a Y. And you can hear more about that. But she was a great guest and that was a great book. And then the last one, I've talked about Stephen Pressfield a lot. His book, The Artist's Journey, which I talked about here on the podcast also. Those are four really good books I read last year. Cool. Well, we have another listener that asks, who is a leader you think is doing a great job right now in business? There's a bunch of them, but one that's right on the top of my head, and I may have mentioned this, uh, I've mentioned it a lot because I really think she is a great CEO, and I think she's doing a great job. She's been criticized recently because of some job cutbacks, but I mean, when the economics demand it, you have to do what you have to do in order for the business to remain healthy. But it's Mary Barra at General Motors. I just think she has, with that company during her, I don't know exactly how long she's been CEO. I want to say six or seven years. And I also own that stock and I'm very happy with what it has done. I'm very happy with the product. But Mary Barra as a CEO, I would say, is somebody who I really, it. She, I think she's really impressive. I'm waiting to see what the General Electric CEO does. Right. Uh, he has the opportunity to be my new hero, uh, but we'll see. Right. Well, he had a good quarter last quarter. Yeah, yeah. So he's he started the process of turning the company around, but that's a big boat, and it's going to take a while to turn it, but... He has an opportunity to be awesome. We'll we'll see what he does. He is the um, his name is escaping me at the moment, but he's the former CEO of Danaher. Did a great job there. So we'll we'll see. Uh, another listener asks, when you are considering a partnership, what things do you look for? My experiences over the years with partners hasn't been a good one. <laughs> um, so I shy away from them. There are people that I've identified that I could be partners with and be pretty successful. But generally speaking, I think when you're thinking about going into partnership with somebody, you need to, besides the obvious honesty, integrity, trustworthiness, and all of that dependability, all of those obvious things, I think you need somebody that brings something to the table that you don't. Right. There needs to be some element of codependency where you are needed for the partnership and the partner is needed for the partnership. If you both are equal in the things that you bring to the table, you both bring the same thing. Why do you need a partner? I think if you don't have that, then you start thinking later on, why do I have a partner, right? So I think it's probably best if you go into it with somebody where they bring some unique things to the partnership that you don't. I think that's really important. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, we have another listener that asks, what are the important factors you look for when hiring? Well, um The reason I'm hesitating is if they're asking me what I look for when I'm hiring for my company or what you look for when you're hiring generally, I don't know. But you try to employ the science and, you know, use assessments, use data, use all the scientific tools you can muster. But I look for competency 
and character. Those are the two things I'm really interested in. I want to know that the person is a person that will fit in the organization. They have good character. They have good chemistry with the other people that already work there. Most of the time, and I've said this a lot, but many times you hire people for what you think they can do, and then you fire them for who they are. And you need to start with who they are first and try to figure out, are they going to fit within the chemistry? Are they going to have good character? And then do they have good competency? So those three C's are really important to me. And we have a listener that asks, what is the biggest risk you've ever taken? Without a doubt, I think anytime you go into any entrepreneur venture, it's a risk. And I have done it successfully three times. So I did it back in the 80s. I started an event business. In addition to my CEO job, I promoted music events and I promoted sports events and some things like that uh, on the side. And that went fairly well. I think I did it for three or four years um, until I just kind of got tired of it and decided to move on. But that was risky because, you know, you're putting up your own money and you're crossing your fingers, hoping people will come see this thing. And you've promised the music act or whatever so much money and the venue costs so much money and you have no idea if one ticket is going to be sold. That to me is kind of risky. Yeah. Um, The other risk was I founded a church. And so Anne-Marie and I together partnered with three other couples and we formed a board of directors and we formed a nonprofit organization uh, that I was president of for seven years. And that church is still going strong here in Columbia. They uh, now are in a brand new building. I'm not affiliated with it anymore. It was just time for it to, you know, you birth a business and then there may be a time where it needs to go on without you mm-hmm. and you need to kick it out of the nest and it needs to fly. And that's kind of what happened with that situation. It was time for it to move on and be the entity on its own without us. And so um, I thought seven years of service was plenty. So it's still successful today, but that was another one. And then this company that that we're involved in, I think we started it with $5,000. Anne-Marie and I both uh, left our jobs. Anne-Marie left her job in November and my job... I left in February of the next year, mm-hmm. and um, we had no means of income whatsoever, and we had five grand, and we are still here today. Yeah. So those were all pretty risky because, you're again, you're, you're staking time, money, and expertise on something being able to live on its own. Uh, you're getting it started. You're getting it going. And there is a very good chance that it might fail and you just have to write it off as like, oh, well, that didn't work. But those three ventures all worked, but they were also probably the biggest risks I've ever taken. Um, We have a listener that asks, when do you make the decision to let someone go and part ways? Um, Well, it depends. Uh, And I know I say that a lot, but... um, What I would tell you that I see more than anything else in my philosophy that I advise people on and I coach them on, I'm not saying it's, it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's, it's my experience and my opinion that you should let somebody go once it's crossed your mind the first time. Hmm. Once it enters your head that I don't think this person's going to make it, I think I'm going to have to let them go. Most everything that comes in your mind after that is justification for not doing it. But once that thought enters your head, it's kind of hard to go back the other way. So to me, the first time you think about it, you know, that it comes up and you think this, this person's not, this person's not of the right character. This person's not of the right chemistry. This person's not of the right competence. And you think you might want to move on. 
that's probably the right decision. And then everything after that is either you're justifying keeping them, you're coming up with reasons not to do it, or you just chicken. <laughs> you know, you don't want to. And nobody likes doing it. It you sure. you should never like doing it. You should always want to go out back and want to throw up. I mean, it should make you feel because it's a failure. Because you're the one that hired them. So when you hired them, you placed a bet that they were going to work out. And if they don't work out, you missed it somewhere in the hiring process, right? That would be my initial answer. But you have to base it on how much time are you willing to say that they should be able to get this job down. Like I, I went to a client once and their receptionist was really bad. And I commented, I said, you, do you think that you have work to do where your receptionist is concerned? And they said, well, she's still trying to learn the job and get the job down. I said, well, how long has she been here? And they said, three years. And I'm like, well, how long do you think it takes to become a pretty good receptionist? You know, in my mind, it's three or six months. Right. You know? It depends on the job. And it depends on how long do you think it should take them before they're really pretty good at it. If it takes a long time, chances are they're probably not a good fit. You know, most people, if they're really good at it, it takes not a long time for them to get up to speed. Sure. Well, we have another listener that asks, do you suggest leaders and managers lead and manage differently during a rough spot in the economy? If so, how? Well, yeah. I mean, I think managers and leaders have to lead and manage differently through different months and quarters you have to respond according to your vision, your plan, and the market. It sort of depends on what the market is giving you to work with, right? So, and, and this may not be the case, but the way the question is being asked, I almost feel like they're trying to predict what their leader or manager will do if we have a recession. Mm, yeah. Right. And so I have no idea because different people react differently. I don't know that I led and managed here at our company much differently during 08, 09, and 10 than I normally would, but I felt like we were in good position and we had a good plan. And if you take care of your company in good times, it will take care of you in bad. If you don't take care of your company in the good times, then when you hit a rough spot, it's like Warren Buffett said. He said, you know, when the tide rows out, you see who's swimming naked. It's the same way. I mean, what he's talking about there is when you hit a recession or you hit a rough spot in the economy, some leaders and managers are really exposed because they didn't do the right things when times were good and now the bad times are catching them off guard. Sometimes a really great economy can make a bad manager look really good because it looks like they're really doing awesome things when it, as a friend of mine once said, a trained monkey could do well, you know, in, in certain situations. And then when the bad spot hits, they're exposed. So to me, that's the difference. It really doesn't matter too much about the economy. It matters who the manager is. Mm -hmm. Good managers manage well in all forms of weather and bad managers get exposed when the economy turns south. Makes sense. Okay, we have another listener that says, I have never met my CEO, and I get really nervous being around them. I think it's because I'm thinking they don't even know who I am. Do you have any suggestions or how to make contact? Yes. Walk up to them and say, hello, sir or ma'am, and stick your hand out and say, I'm Tony Richards. It's really nice to meet you. Or, I'm Tony Richards, I work in manufacturing, or I work in data analysis. I'm just really glad to meet you. Now, for introverts, I know that sounds like I'm asking you to walk the tightrope between the Empire State Building and <laughs> some other tall building, right? But really, I mean, that is the most simple thing. Companies have social hours. They have social events where it's a little bit more of a relaxed atmosphere. Pick your spot. Just do it. Even if your knees are knocking and you're breathing all shallow, breathe deeply, count to 10, stick your hand out, say your name, and then leave. 
<laughs> you know, don't talk too much. You know, don't overexpose yourself like we were just talking. Introduce yourself. And I'll tell you this too. Chances are the CEO does know who you are. Even though maybe you never met, most CEOs I know, they know who works in their company. They've heard about you before. And so it's not as cold a call as you think it is. It's it's probably more of a warm call. And uh, chances are, I'd say seven out of ten chances, they might say your name before you even introduce yourself. They might say, hey, it's Bill Foster. Hi, Bill. I don't think we've met. And they might take all the pressure off of you. So, right. you know, I just think introduce yourself. Um you know, if you're somebody who has more of a direct line to them, that shouldn't be a problem at all. Maybe you ask your manager. I was just at an event uh, here last week where there was a employee and the company was having a social hour and I had been invited. There was another fellow there who was also a coaching consultant for a different part of the business. And somebody from a department walked up to me and said, I don't really know Jeff. I've never met him. Would you introduce me to him? And I was more than happy to do it. So you might get somebody else who does know the CEO to introduce you to the CEO. That that would be a good way to do it too. Yeah, right. Well, our next listener has a multiple choice question for you. We'll see if I can remember them all. Okay. okay. Which one of these do you think is most important for advancing my career? A, learning to analyze and frame issues. B, asking good questions. C, being a great listener. D, orchestrating healthy conflict and debate. And E, learning more about my industry. So learning to analyze and frame issues, asking good questions, being a great listener, orchestrating healthy conflict and debate, and learning more about my industry. Is that all? Those are all of them. Well, there's really no contest there. There is one clear-cut, head-and-shoulders winner in that list of five, being a great listener. That is way, way, way ahead of, I don't know what number two is, but that's definitely number one. So if you can work on your listening skills, uh, I think you can probably do the other four uh, at a fairly high level. But it's amazing to me, the people out there, who are terrible at listening. You and I just went to lunch Mm -hmm. and somebody asked me if I wanted a copy of my receipt. And what did they do? Like seven seconds after that. Ask you again, if you (laughs) wanted a copy of your receipt. Right. And I had just told them no. Right. And it's like, how could you not like, that wasn't even seven seconds. (laughs) And they had, they say, did I ask you that? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) they're like, and what did you say? I said, I said, no, you know, but that that's a classic example right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being a great listener, that, that trumps everything. Makes sense. Good. Got any more? That's everything. Wow, those are some good questions. I agree. If you got questions for us, you can send them to us, and we'll answer them on a future show. And it can be about business, your career, leadership, CEO-type stuff, uh, entrepreneurship. Just send them to us, info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com, and we will get those on a show somewhere down the line. I've got your leadership and business lesson next on Better Than Before. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home, which means we care for our customers like we care for our community. Join us for the Subaru True Love event in Columbia. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com.
Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and I'm here to do your leadership and business lesson. And this week, I want to talk to you about big ideas for your family focus. You know, family provides the foundation for an extraordinary life, and there are so many ways to connect with people socially today that it's amazing how we lose connection with people that are supposed to be the closest to us. We get seduced in trying to be great at our jobs, at work, and our careers that we forget the most important human connections that we should have. A human moment is an authentic moment. And it's when two people have a face-to-face, being present with each other, authentic type conversation and interaction. It gives you a superior feeling of well-being. And one trait of successful people that I've coached, worked with, and been around is they have a strong sense of family and strong sense of community. And so today I'm going to focus on family. And big idea number one I want to share with you in this lesson is Spend quantity and quality time with those you love. So I'm going to be a little loose with the definition of family because it doesn't have to be blood relatives. It's the community that you immerse yourself in, right? You can have a whole bunch of people you consider to be your family that you want to spend time with, or it could be your immediate family, yourself, your wife, or your, you and your husband and your children. Uh, it could be, you know, your cousins, your sisters, depending, you know, some people have rather large families and other people have small, intimate families. It doesn't really matter. But the thing is, whatever you consider to be family, just do not take them for granted. I have talked to so many people who have lost loved ones who have said, I really feel like I took them for granted and now I've lost them and I really wish I could go back and do some things over having so many regrets, right? As we go through life, you know, we have to make sure that we live our life in such a way that we are anti-regret. We don't have to worry about that. The philosopher Gertrude said once that if children grew up according to early indications, we would have nothing in society but geniuses. So, you know, we need to raise our kids and interact with our kids as part of our family and uh, we, we need to keep our bad beliefs away from them. We need to keep our wrong assumptions away from them. And, you know, I heard it said one time that we don't raise children for the world they're going to know. We raise children for the world we know. And by the time they grow up, it's not our world anymore. It's a completely different world. So it's really important to spend quality time with your kids in these family moments. You know, one thing I picked up from Chip and Dan Heath from the book, The Power of Moments, is that life is really just a series of moments. So you schedule in times to spend together. Maybe uh, you get together and you tell stories. Maybe you get together and you read uh, you ask yourself, how can I bring more adventure into our family's lives? Do interesting things together. You know, as human beings, we crave novelty. We want to freshen things up. We don't want our brains to get bored and fall into disengagement. So talking and communication is so important and so fundamental in our family interactions. Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed frustrated with any family member. Because again, we need to have anti-regret. And often our greatest regrets are the love you didn't give somebody or the words you didn't speak. You can never be open enough with your family. You might feel silly for a moment if you take a risk. Or if you don't, you might feel regret for a lifetime. And at the end of our life, one of the most important things will be how we conducted ourselves with what we call and what we define as our family. Do you uplift your family or do you tear down your family? Does your family lift you up? Does your family tear you down? You got to work to find the sweet spot. Big idea number two, never stop focusing on and improving your family culture. And I want to keep saying this over and over. Your family is whatever you define it as. 
In some ways, my employees are part of my family. Producer Bill's part of my family. Uh, Associate producer Whitney on the show is part of my family. Caitlin, our media director, is part of of my family. Amanda's, my project manager, is part of my family. Some of our clients I would consider to be part of our family. Um, because my blood family lives in Kentucky. So I've got a, a community here in Missouri that I would consider to be family. So it's how you define it, right? But you always want to focus on and improve your family culture. And remember, what you focus on grows. What you take focus away from dies. Because when you focus, you focus energy, And whatever you give energy to is going to grow. Whatever you take energy away from is going to wither and die. So the things you focus on usually get better. 80% of our results come from 20% of the things we do. Always be improving it. Always be spending time on it. Always be focusing on it. Ask yourself. What does this family, the way I define family, stand for? What is the point of being successful and losing your family? There is no point, right? So you have to be thinking constantly about how you can focus and how you can improve your family. And one way is to be responsive with them and to be proactive with them and not to be reactive with them. I heard it said once that success is a few daily acts that lead to critical mass of momentum. And by the same token, failure is a few daily acts of neglect that lead to a large collapse. And that being said, leads me to big idea number three, develop family rhythms. We do it with every client we work with. We tell them in execution of your plan, you have to develop rhythms. And rhythms are, how often are we going to meet and what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about priorities. We're going to talk about data. You know, we're going to talk about key performance indicators. You can have all those things in your family too, right? Your family can have priorities. Your family can have data that's discussed. And uh, your family can have regular times where you get together right? Rhythms are so powerful. When you do them on a consistent basis, you generate profound results. Think about the way you start the day, you know, with your kids, let's say. How do you start the day with your kids? Is it very rhythmic and very proactive or is it like chaos? Remember this, the way you start your day will define your day. And you might be saying, oh my gosh, I really need to change the way I start my day because holy cow, it's like a bomb goes off and things go everywhere and everybody's rushing around and everybody's hair's on fire. And well, maybe you ought to have a family conversation about that, right? And put some of those things in order. Now, what would a family rhythm consist of? Number one, schedule times together that no one misses or cancels. Now, I don't know, but I think we're losing some of this in our culture today with our families. But it was very much in place when I grew up in my family. We had meal time that was not missed and was not canceled. And we had breakfast at 6.30 in the morning. We had dinner at 5.30 in the afternoon. We had lunch at 11.30 during the day. And it was not uh, selective. It was mandatory. You showed up. Everybody had their seat at the table they sat in. And we talked about things that either were going to happen that day at breakfast, or we talked about things that were happening that day at lunch, or we talked about the things that did happen during the day at dinner and maybe what was going to happen tomorrow, or we talked about the things that were going on. Uh, Number two, capture the moments together as often as possible. I wish when I was growing up, we had the tools we have now. I wish I would have, uh, the only thing I have are just the memories in my mind of those meals that we shared together. But it wasn't just meals. I mean, we had church also. 
that we went together to church and it wasn't uh, selective. It was mandatory, right? Um, you can, we didn't necessarily do this, but you could have a movie night. You can have game night. Uh, there's all sorts of things. You don't just have to have a family meeting, but in these rhythms that you design for your family to spend time together, they can have a certain structure to them, right? And number three, as far as big idea, number three, develop family rhythms, I would say, make sure you devise some ways to have some fun with your family. Make sure you put some fun into it, whatever it is that you do. But you need to put some of those rhythms in where everybody gets together and you do things and you discuss and you share. And I want to share with you, um, this really touched my heart, so I want to pass it on to you. And this was shared with me by a father. So this can also apply to a mom. But this was a dad who said he had a nightly rhythm with his kids. He never missed it. He did it every single night. And he said, I told them four things. Number one, whatever you want to do when you grow up, you can do it. And he said, I made sure they understood I was talking about them. I wasn't projecting off of myself. It had nothing to do with me. Uh, it was all about them. Number one, whatever you want to do when you grow up, it's possible. You can do it. Number two. Whatever you do, do it really well. Number three, never give up on something you deeply care about. And number four, thing he told them every single night, don't forget how much your father loves you. No matter what, don't forget how much your father loves you. So he told them every night at bedtime uh, up and through their teenage years, Every night he told them those four things. Can you imagine the powerful impact that had on their life? And that was a nightly rhythm that he did every single night. Big idea number four, and this is my last one. Your children will become more like you than you can ever imagine. And I talk about this a lot when I talk about leadership is about duplication. And it's about creating more leaders. It's not about creating more followers. We are in the business as leaders of producing more leaders. So we are constantly passing on our leadership DNA. And you have to be really careful about that because you have and I have some bad habits. And we have some bad stuff in our leadership DNA. And we have a lot of good stuff too. But the bad stuff is going to be passed on as well. And the example I give is, do you ever see anything in your children you wish you didn't see? And everybody always laughs and says, oh yeah, I see myself in them and it's not always good. That's right. Your children will become more like you than you can ever imagine. You know, Gandhi said... Be the change you want to see. So you are an outstanding model for your children. You have to make sure that you're showing them your best all the time. It's amazing to me the amount of bad words we will use around our kids and then we are simply surprised that when they cuss. <laughs> well, where do you think they picked it up from, right? You have to lead by example. You're the model that they see the most. And if you are active and proactive in developing your kids, you will see a wonderful payoff to that. I'll give you two great examples, and these are two very famous families in American history. One is the Kennedys. And at the Kennedy household, over dinner, their dad, Joe Kennedy, this is John F. Kennedy and Bobby, Kids, uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy's father, he would bring guests to the house for dinner and the kids had to formulate questions for the guests. So the dinner conversation would be led by the children and they had to uh, spend some time thinking about and researching questions they wanted to ask the people that their father would bring home to dinner, which I thought was kind of cool. And then the Rockefellers, John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men who's ever lived, his children, uh, they got a certain amount of allowance every week, and they were responsible for their own accounting and budget. 
And so they had to come in every week and give a report about what they did with their allowance, whether they saved it, whether they invested it, or whether they spent it. And they had to account for every single penny of it and give a report on what they did with what they were given, which I think is a really good exercise also. You got a really small window of opportunity with your kids. They're never going to be the age they are now. This is, you know, they're only going to be this age one time. And once that window of opportunity closes, it's really hard to open it again. And sometimes it never opens again. So those are my big ideas for you. Uh, we talk about business. We talk about being successful leaders. And we talk about all these success principles. Today, I thought, you know, let's just focus on something that's really, really important all, to all of us. And that is whatever it is that you call your family, right? So let me recap one more time. Big idea number one, spend quantity and quality time with the people you love. Big idea number two, never stop focusing on and improving your family atmosphere and culture. Number three, develop family rhythms, special times together, special moments that are planned and practiced and then big idea number four, your children will become more like you than you can ever imagine. Invest some quality time, attention, and attention with your family. It will pay great dividends. That's our show today. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. Join us for the Subaru True Love event in Columbia. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. I'm Tony Richards, speaking on behalf of associate producer Whitney Coker and chief producer Bill Foster. We'll see you again next time on Better Than Before. And remember, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.